Hey guys, welcome to the episode. Just before we get stuck in, there we've just got to drop a little disclaimer to say that we had a slight issue with sound quality throughout a few points in this episode. So there's a couple of bits. I think there's maybe three bits where it goes a bit like the the quality drops a bit, and we we become a bit inaudible. But they're very short, and um, and we we were considering like redoing the episode, but we felt that the the uh, content was still pretty you know good enough to to put out and uh and the the only bits that get lost are pretty short so hopefully you guys won't mind too much but just thought we should say apologies for the lack of quality in this particular episode uh it was just due to slight drop in in internet uh connectivity on cow's end so apologies again hope you enjoy the episode if you did please feel free to leave a rating and review on iTunes and you know thank you again for your continued support because it is awesome so we'll catch you in the rest of this episode and then on the next one um yeah enjoy hello and welcome back to the muscle mentors podcast i am here sat down well not literally sat down but virtually sat down with luke um how are you doing luke i'm good sir how are you i am fine um, a little bit tired from the weekend, but it was a productive one. Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> You're going to fill the listeners into what we did at the weekend, Luke. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, Cal and I spent the weekend at S20. Well, I said the weekend. We spent all of Sunday at S20 um, with uh, RGL Filmhouse, um, Gus, um, doing, putting together a exercise library for all of our um online clientele and uh no it was awesome and it was an awesome gym and it was really really kind of ryan to uh to welcome us there and be so hospitable and um yeah really well equipped gym and if you know if anyone's in the sheffield area check it out because it is awesome yeah it was good it was productive and um yeah that would be That'll be part of, well, it will be integrated into the online coaching side of things and uh, the content will be part of a bigger project which will be launching in the near future, which will also involve lots of videos and other cool stuff. Mm. Um, Today, we are going to talk through, um, well, basically, we're going to start to open up a new topic. New can of worms a new can of worms uh, that we haven't delved into yet. Uh, we've looked into the microbiome. We've looked into you know, the gastrointestinal system already. And now we're going to start to look at um, essentially uh, a practical view and introduction into fasting and time-restricted eating. Because it is something that is becoming even more popular as of late uh, in the industry and just in general. Um, and we're going to start to delve into, you know, how can we actually apply this stuff? What does that actually do? What are the benefits apart from just caloric restriction? Um, there's a lot more to it that we can consider and would be valuable to know if we wanted to implement this stuff or if we wanted to implement the stuff with clients. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a point of interest at the moment which we, which we want to dig into. Uh, and some of this stuff will lead on to um, 
kind of like an introduction into the content which will be delved into deeper at the seminar next month. Uh, would you add anything to that, Luke? No, sounds good. But I think what we'll end up doing is is doing a few episodes on this, like we did with digestion, just because it's such a big topic. Like we're not going to try and do one episode covering fasting because it would be like four hours. <laughs> um, but and, and we'll you know we'll potentially see if we can get a good guest on. I haven't actually thought of anyone that we could get, um, and whether we'll need to, but. Um, it could be, could be. If anyone has any recommendations, anyone they want to hear from, drop us a message. We'll yeah. see if we can get them on. Um, I suppose we should also start with the disclaimer this time. Yeah, good idea. Instead of putting it at the end, that's groundbreaking that we remembered that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, from this point on, you know, anything we say, uh, or you know, with regards to health. Um, you know, supplementation, where you know, nutrition and stuff like that. This is just two guys having a conversation. You know, always consult your medical practitioner before making any changes to your current diet. And um, and yeah, you know, don't don't take this stuff literally. Don't run with it. Um, yeah, possibly the worst disclaimer, but I think that covered it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, talking about running with it, let's run with it then. Yeah, so I reckon, like fasting as a general practice, obviously, you know, there's different ways to implement it, um, and it all kind of depends on what you want to get from it in terms of how you want to implement it. So, you know, you get some people who fast, um, with, with an effort to simply lose fat and that would be where you know people jump on the bandwagon of fasting is simply a tool for caloric restriction which is going to elicit fat loss which is an you know absolute valid um you know part of what fasting is about but it's not all of what fasting is about and it annoyingly does seem to just be labeled as that. There's a lot of people that just do, you know, people ask genuine questions about what are the benefits of fasting. And you get these people thinking they're cool, just sending a video back saying, oh, caloric restriction, that's all it's good for. So it's not all it's good for. That's, that's just one part of the post, you know, one piece of the puzzle. Um, and there's a lot more to it. But in terms of, you know, reducing inflammation, promoting longevity, addressing gut issues, um, kind of, aiding the immune system uh fasting can be a pretty damn good thing but again it kind of boils down to you know it, you could kind of break fasting down into three big benefits in terms of the processes that you can get for that kind of get triggered from it and you can you know so you're looking at things like autophagy or autophagy depending on how you want to pronounce it autophagy just sounds better smoother um, I know so, some. Who said that wrong recently that you corrected? I don't know. So, someone, I was listening to a podcast and apparently it is actually meant to be pronounced autophagy. Um, and, and that was by an actual scientist who got a bit huffy when he, someone said autophagy and he was like, um, autophagy just sounds better. But it may be wrong. I'll accept that. <laughs> um, but that's basically that, you know, you're. 
there's a it's a mechanism in our bodies in which we it, our body basically goes through and clears out defunct cells so it's like uh the the cell will kind of well auto autophagy is basically like self-eating so the cell kind of like self-digests itself um and recycles a lot of the waste and uh and kind of old proteins and trans you know transforms those into energy which is part of the you know combating the aging process and improving health and longevity and then um you're looking at the, uh, ketosis is another benefit of fasting so that would be where you're at a point at which your ketone body production from your liver has, has kind of surpassed the level of blood glucose in your bloodstream and the, your body is then essentially switching over to ketones as its primary fuel source um, and uh, and then it will also trigger your body to start breaking down its own fat tissue to produce ketones as well but that again does not you know it does not mean you're going to suddenly start burning fat at a fast rate that's been proven many times it's just your body is just going to start liberating fat tissue more readily for fuel but it will also start um you know in, often in, to do it you will have to ingest more dietary fat um and you'll you know kind of compose your diet predominantly of fat and so people look at a lot of the markers for fat burning and see that people have an elevated uh, level of of fat burning going on and it's mostly because they're also consuming more fat so they're going to be burning more fat doesn't mean you're burning more fat more body fat so it all that still comes down to whether you're in a caloric deficit or not but ketones themselves are an incredibly valuable source of energy for the brain um, in terms of the fact that they actually are more um, efficient than glucose for the brain and they cause a lot less oxidative stress, so they're actually uh, incredibly, you know, health promoting from that perspective as well. Um, and they, uh, I mean, well, I mean, like ketone, the keto diet, ketogenic diet, was actually first studied for its ability to treat epileptic fits. So, kind of people that have epilepsy can benefit a lot of the time from going down the ketosis route because of the benefits for the brain. Um, and then lastly, you're looking at, um, you know, fasting being a, a mechanism, you know, is, is a hormetic stressor. So in the same way that exercise is a hormetic stressor. So a hormetic stressor is, is something that promotes hormesis, which is basically the body's adaptive or well, one of the body's adaptive mechanisms to stress. So in the case of fasting, you, you basically trigger certain pathways, um, that increase your you know a lot of your metabolic activity going on and, and also some certain immune system boosting effects as you could say um and it's basically like like exercised you know and well, anything that comes under the title like hormetic stressors you, you basically say uh you know the dose makes the poison in the sense of if you have the right amount you'll get you'll get a benefit from it if you have too much of it you'll you'll see a a um, decrease in in performance and health and stuff like that, and we see that when people take training to a, you know an unnecessarily high level, and they end up overtrained and actually performing worse. And similarly, you can take fasting too far um, and not be too health conscious about how you're employing it, and actually suffer consequences as a result. Um, and that's where, like, when you, you know, if you're going to employ a fasting, uh, you know 
you know, if you're going to start using the practice of fasting, you're going to start doing it for extended periods of time, like days on end, potentially weeks. In some cases, it, you, you pretty much need to do it under medical supervision. Um, and like when you look at like the longest documented fast um, in the literature, it's about three, uh, what's your put here, 382 days. Um, and that was under medical supervision. And this is, you know, just type in longest fast and you'll be able to read all about it. But there were some pretty cool things from that in that, like, the, the guy who who underwent it, basically his blood glucose was consistently about 1.7 millimoles per litre. And for those of you Americans out there, that's about 30 milligrams per, per deciliter. So it's damn low. Um, and, you know, that's basically a sign that this guy had entered into a ketogenic state because, you know, he, he would have been... His body won't have been running off glucose in that instance, and he would have uh, he would have been producing a lot of ketone bodies by metabolizing his own fat. And on, you know, on that note, he decreased his weight from 456 pounds to 180 pounds over the course of that 382 day period. And five years later, they checked in, and he was still maintaining his weight at 196 pounds, which makes him you know a pretty successful diet. Um, it was 450 pounds. Say again. It was it was four hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, four hundred and fifty six pounds. Damn. He was a big boy, <laughs> um, and uh, and like the only thing. So this is a quote. Um, so he said, after a hundred days of fasting, there was a marked and persistent increase in the excretion of urinary cations and inorganic phosphate, which until then had been minimal. These increases may be due to the dissolution of excessive soft tissue and skeletal mass. Prolonged fasting in this patient had no ill effects. So there was, you know, there was markers that he was metabolizing quite a lot of muscle tissue. Um, but that's pretty normal um, in a fast of that long. Um, but also, you know, from a nutrient, all he was intaking in this period was like, I think he had a multivitamin, an electrolyte, but well, actually he had certain electrolytes at certain points because the medical supervisors noted that certain like his potassium levels had dropped at some points and then his sodium levels had dropped. So they need to bring those back up. Um, and then he also had some like non caloric fluids. So I think some energy drinks sorts of things, which is, you know, it's a potential query because electrolytes and things like that are technically xenobiotics, which are, you know, things that, are, you know, although they're natural, natural things found within us um especially like dietary electrolytes um you know that that in in dietary form they're much higher concentrations than, than they would usually be found in the body which which qualifies them as being xenobiotics which means that your body is going to have to process it to some degree um some there's some debate as to whether this would knock you out of a fasted state um uh, you know, some people say yes. A lot of people say no. I think more people say no. I don't think there's enough, you know, enough metabolic activity to say that you'd come out of a fast by intaking like a few milligrams of sodium. Um, but you know, the, I think the research is still out on that. Um, but um, you know, I kind of, it kind of boils down to the fact that. Again, you just need to do this sort of thing under medical supervision, but it also shows how powerful fasting can be and whether or not this guy was truly in a fasted state or not. It was pretty ridiculous what he went through. Um, so I'm, I'm going to change all my 12-week recomps now to just 12-week fasts. Yeah, do. Send over the diet is just water. Exactly. 
And um, that's like, there's a lot of people who be worried about things like muscle and stuff in that instance. And like there was there was the study, so there was a notable study done in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, where they found that across a four-day fast there was an increase in both resting energy expenditure and VO2 um, and a decent drop in weight that accompanied. And again, this kind of comes back to that hormetic stressor thing where, you know, in the case of fasting, we, we can see, you know, so it is a stressful thing and that's where, you know, people can underestimate how stressful fasting can be, especially if they're not used to it. Um, and, um, you know, in the case of you, pathways pathways um most notably ampk um or adenosine monophosphate kinase which is like kind of your cells energy regulator and it when it senses a lack of available energy it basically turns on so when we do anything that involves depleting atp intracellular intracellular atp so um energy on the inside of the cell it basically activates this enzyme and then all its downstream uh, like intermediary intermediaries and um, one of these is, is a guy called PGC1 alpha and the resulting ad adaptation here is that you get an increase in mitochondrial density within muscle tissue so you, so basically that the capacity to produce energy increases and that's basically what will be attributed to what we see in fasting individuals where you get an increase in resting energy expenditure and things like that they're, they're um, their energy production is increased by by this mechanism um you know the, the downside to this is there hasn't been much research assessing these, these metabolic adaptations in like prolonged longer term fasting situations and it's pretty much likely that you would not see an exponential rise in metabolic rate but it does suggest that in the short term fasting is a potentially highly useful tool for ensuring positive metabolic adaptations to energy restriction which is something that you don't often see in typical application of general caloric restriction so when you know when we're typically dieting someone down you typically see that they will that you know their metabolic rate adjusts to the you know the decreases in caloric intake over time which you know just warrants further restriction and restriction you know in the short term fasting may be a good way to avoid that and get a pretty decent amount of weight loss um so you know it can be um i mean i hope everyone's following along there but in terms of muscle retention as well your, your ketones themselves which you're going to produce more of a pretty muscle sparing um you also when you're in a fasted state you tend to have Although like plasma levels of insulin or um, circulating levels of insulin will drop, you tend to see an increase in circulating levels of leucine. Um, and that basically will be able to increase your still kind of cause that anabolic response in, in the same way that uh, same kind of mTOR stimulating way that insulin does. And mTOR is kind of that seesaw um, pathway to AMPK. So, so that's the guy that kind of is in charge of anabolism. And um, so where we see like increases in plasma levels of leucine, um, that's, that's one of the th ways that you see. One of the reasons why in a lot of literature you don't see people that e end up fasting also seeing a lot of muscle loss. In general, they see you know, muscle retention when fasting is pretty damn easy. And it tends to be seen a lot
um and you know someone who has done fasting a lot i think cow have you fasted quite a few times uh have you ever implemented it in between my meals <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um but, but uh, you know, so I've, I've done it for not as long as you but i've done like i've done 24 hour fasts um but I, yeah i know that you've done what's the longest you've done before I think longest is 36. I don't think I've ever gone above that. Um, I've just done that quite a few times. Um, but I I routinely do like 18, 20 hour fasts. And, you know, I, I don't see any lot. I do that with clients. I do it with me. There's, you know, in terms of building muscle, retaining muscle, there's no loss to that. Um, yeah. And then again, that's kind of supported in the, in the research. Um, yeah. It's... it's um, you know, the, the, they've compared many times, like in terms of from like a just a simple training perspective, people that kind of implement intermittent fasting have been shown to, um, you know, not there, there's no benefit to having more frequent meals over guys that intermittent fast in, with regards to tissue retention and performance. Um, and they've even looked at things like feeding practices. So people that have all their protein in like one sitting, I think they did one study. They've done a few studies where they found that like comparing whey protein and they did four 20 gram servings versus one or versus two 40 gram servings and six or no. So it was four 20 gram servings in one group. And then the other group had two 40 gram servings. And then the other group had 10, uh eight 10 gram servings and the group that had the four 20 gram servings had um much better muscle protein synthetic responses to that um but then they so so in terms of the frequency of, of feeding there and like the amount of protein you need in the instance of you know, in the case of whey protein it, it seems like four servings is better than small ones versus like two bolus doses and then but then they've also looked at um like you know the, the impact that having all your food in one meal all your protein intake in one meal versus uh, a more conventional spread out approach um of like three four protein feeding a day um led to no differences in tissue retention so in you know in terms of you know that's where you can find research that you know it, whether you're going to absorb and this is like when you're practicing intermittent fasting if, if you leave all your you know food to one meal um you know we will most likely absorb and i think that's been shown on numerous occasions that our capacity to absorb amino acids from the food we eat is pretty much unlimited like we will always absorb pretty much all of that provided our digestion is on point or adequate the whether or not those amino acids contribute to muscle gain is another debate uh, or another matter and it generally isn't the case so if someone was to intake like 120 grams of protein in one sitting they're not going to put all of that into muscle growth and you're not going to get a ma massive muscle synthetic response from that versus someone that has smaller feedings um that in terms of implementing it there's you want to consider that if you are trying to build muscle you probably do want to spread things that and you're a decent sized individual and you've got to get getting quite a decent amount of food um i'm going to want to go shorter than an eight hour feeding window um uh 
so yeah, um, I mean, the shorter you go on that, the more pressure you're placing a on your digestive system to break that protein down. But also, you're going to limit your your capacity to kind of use that protein towards muscle protein synthesis, as opposed to just breaking it down for energy production in the liver. Um, yeah, what do you reckon? It's interesting stuff. Like from from your perspective, when you do your thirty six hour fast, then so when you break your your fasting from obviously the the evening that you stop. So with mm. your thirty six hour fast, obviously you're, it's like a day and a half. But mm. with the eighteen hour fast, we're having a smaller eating window. How do you how are you distributing your protein on the in the short amount of time that you have to eat? If that makes sense. I will typically like at the moment it's working in my favor because I'm having less protein. So I will basically have, I have about 20 grams during training anyway. Um, so that knocks about, and then the other three meals will basically be about 40, 50 grams a piece, which may still be pushing it. Like you look at the research on that and, um, whether or not I'm going to be able to utilize that is debatable. It seems to be all right. <laughs> um, but I, I don't like to venture any higher than like 50 grams in the city. Um, but it, it's just a case of being organized with it. Um, like there's times where I get a bit carried away with work and I do end up having to have quite a lot in one sitting. Doesn't seem to be a huge issue. Um, probably isn't helping me in terms of building muscle or, you know, but I don't think it will, it will meet, meet, lead to me losing muscle, but it might not maximize my chance of building muscle if I do that. Um, so yeah, I think you basically want to be spreading out. I, I mean, and mo the biggest reason I would start, you know, make sure you're spreading food out is simply to ensure that your um, your digestion is adequate, so you're not putting too much stress on your digestive system, especially yeah. if you're someone who's suffered with things like IBS and you know your, your capacity, your acid reflux, and you know things where you you potentially got lower levels of hydrochloric acid going on, and you just don't you won't have the capacity to break that much down anyway. Mm. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, I think, um, with regards to, you know, what, how to get into a faster state, I think people probably want to know that, that essentially get, you know, you have to get to the point at which you're no longer in, what's known as the post-absorptive state. Um, and if like the absorptive state is essentially the processes of digestion and absorption, so that where you're breaking food down and, and absorbing that through the gut, the post-absorptive state can be simplified to the assimilation and blood sugar maintenance phases. So the point, you know, the process of which your liver is basically dealing with the food you've just taken in and you're then assimilating that, you know, transporting that through the bloodstream and the lipid, you know, the, the the lymph system and then, uh, and then assimilating that into your cells for storage and, and energy use. Um, but basically once your blood sugar levels fall low enough, like your liver will start increasing its production of ketones. And it also, you have to get to the point at which you're depleting liver glycogen as well. And that, that comes into, um, like, well, you, I mean, you don't have to, but like if, if you want to get into a truly fasted state, you basically need to get to the point at which like, blood sugar levels have fallen low enough. Your liver is starting to increase production of ketones in order to maintain efficient energy levels. And, 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 you know, we basically know that this can take anywhere from about eight to 12 hours. If you were looking to like deplete liver glycogen,
packaging completely. I think like a 24 hour fast has been shown to, you know, and this, I, I can't remember how heavy these individuals were and what they were doing, but a 24 hour fast was shown to like deplete about 50% of liver glycogen. But I'm assuming that activity levels won't be that high because you could definitely probably deplete liver glycogen in 24 hours if you were, if you were smashing the activity long enough. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, in terms of getting into this fasted state, it would take about eight to 12 hours and that would depend on a few variables. The main one being is your ability to efficiently utilize ketone bodies as a fuel source. So people that are very easily, you know, people that have, you know, done the ketone diet and they're able to use that as a fuel source and get their body's ketone production up pretty quickly, they'll probably be able to actually get in, you know, get through that post-absorptive or the absorptive state and post-absorptive state slightly faster and into a faster state provided their food intake isn't excessive and then uh, and then it also comes down to their capacity for glycogen storage in the liver and like when you you know you look at like a typical 70 kilo adult their storage capacity of glycogen in the liver is about 100 to 120 grams um, of glycogen so that would you know in a, in a post-absorptive state before ketone production had to take take the reins that would be about eight to 12 hours worth so if you're looking if you're like a larger individual like 100 to 120 kilos plus you're probably looking at another three to four hours possibly five six if you're look, you know able to reduce liver glycogen stores to a point at which you're able to enter into a true fasted state um and that where that's where you know if you're someone who's got quite a decent amount of muscle mass you've never really done it before you're probably looking at you know getting into a 16 18 possibly 20 hour fast just to you know make sure you're in a truly fasted state um so people that kind of do the whole 12 hour fast thing you're probably not doing enough um but individuals that are slightly lighter you and you're you know getting good amounts of sleep every night people that are sleeping for like eight to nine hours and then they're you know they're not eating a couple of hours before bed maybe they're not eating a couple of hours after waking they're probably getting into a fasted state pretty much every day um so it wouldn't take much for them to gain much more of a benefit um by extending that slightly um it's, it's the bigger guys that if you want to get into the true benefits of like autophagy um and, and things like that well it's mainly autophagy because that's the thing that you're looking to that's going to take you about 24 to 48 hours to trigger anyway um and unfortunately for people you know people especially the guys concerned about muscle here when i say that you know if you if you're trying to stimulate autophagy you have to work autophagy basically requires the inhibition of mTOR so if um if you're if you're someone who who thinks that mTOR needs to be switched on all the time which it doesn't and that's extremely unhealthy um you're probably never going to do fasting but for people that want to get into the healthy side of things and go down the autophagy route which is pretty damn um cool thing to happen especially if you're concerned with kind of living longer um then um you know you want to be probably you know doing like a 24-hour fast once a week you could even do like a 36-hour fast and if you're a badass you could do like 48 hour fast once a month or something like that or, or even you know if you're a badass you can do it once a week depends on what your goals are <laughs> but um but that that's the length of time you'll need to actually get a decent effect you know an autophagic response um but um 
but again, that's whether you know it's whether or not you want to put yourself under that pressure because it is quite a pressure thing, especially when you're surrounded by people that like look at fasting as this crazy thing. And, and like, there's a guy I've forgotten his name. He was on um, he was on Joe Rogan or or Fat. No, he was on Runda Patrick's podcast, and and he was fasting for like. 15 days or something and she had said she said something about it and he brought it up and, and she she was like oh my god that's amazing and he and he said or she said oh that's crazy and he was like yeah that's the thing of like fasting is you know viewed as socially uh, extreme but it is in no way biologically extreme in the sense of like we've evolved to fast so like our, the human body is like primed and ready to go with regards to fasting it's just not anything that's accepted in modern day society so if you're suddenly the guy that goes in and goes oh i'm gonna start fasting you're gonna get loads of shit for it but you'll be doing something that you've evolved you know the human body's evolved to do with with regards to optimizing health and you know when it comes down to like ketone bodies you, you look at you know the debate between ketogenic diet and you know carbohydrate diets and all this stuff you know the body you know we need carbs to perform but we've we've evolved to run on ketones to survive so like in terms of in those times of the year where we were evolving and there was like no food and we were having to run off our fat stores and go through periods of prolonged fasting the human body was running very efficiently off fats and we'd be in these prolonged fasting states and then we'd go through a year where or part of the year where food would be more abundant and we'd start smashing it in and there'd be a lot more carbohydrates and we would accumulate more fat going into that winter period again. And then we'd start running on ketones and surviving through it again. So we kind of have this, you know, there is a, a place for it and it's not as extreme as people think, especially when it comes to the human body and how it works. So, yeah. I sound like that. And when you said we, we uh, run off, um, so again, we run off. What carbs are? Glucose is needed for performance, and ketones are needed for survival. Oh shit! If I had my drum right now, I'd be playing that bitch. Yeah, I said that to someone the other day because I was reading it, and I was just I saying, that I think I should, "Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it." But that's the thing of like, you know, if, if you're someone who is looking to perform, maximize muscle building, you're an athlete ketone you know going down the ketogenic route fasting route all the time probably not the best thing um if you're someone who you know is concerned with i want to live as long as i can and as healthy as i can then you, you don't need to do it all the time but you should put a portion of the year in where you're giving your body that that stimulus yeah. mm. crazy crazy and it's uh Obviously, it's going to be against the conventional bodybuilding mindset of I need to get my six, seven meals in a day, breath. But yeah, you know, you, you that's the thing. Like, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, yeah. But if you are, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, and that's what you know, you're concerned with getting as jacked as you can, which both Cal and I are. You, you, a, you can still implement this sort of thing, but you wouldn't want to take it to the extremes. Like you wouldn't want to be like, sweet, I'm gonna fa- I'm gonna fast for 23 hours a day, and then I'm gonna eat 4,000 calories in and out. Like, <laughs> no, I, I bet I've I've done that before. Where I've I, I've implemented fasting through. I haven't done that before, 
but I've implemented fasting through, you know, gaining phases to pretty successful, you know, results. But it gets to the point where I've gone quite extreme with the fasting window and I've got, I've had like four hours to consume 3000 calories and it isn't a, it's not good for your digestive system <laughs> and B it's, it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but you, I mean, you can do it. It's pretty stupid. Like it, the, the, this is where people, I got asked today, what would be the best thing to do? Some guy messaged me saying he's going to do a 36 hour fast. How would it be best to, precede that and follow that um and it basically me you know it comes down to just you know eat pretty normally you wouldn't want to go okay i'm going to go into a 36 hour fast i'm going to consume as much food as i possibly can because a that's going to mean you're in a post-absorptive state for longer and your you know the time it takes you to get into a fast is going to be longer but also coming out of the fast you wouldn't want to you know although you'd have done things you know you would have given your digestive system a pretty damn good rest you'd have stimulated certain pathways that would improve epithelial in cell integrity of the intestines and stuff like that sort of improving um but and well and you'd have also like massively you know improved insulin sensitivity and stuff like that you know your ability to uptake nutrients is going to be amazing that doesn't mean you should then go in with like a thousand grams of carbs and you know loads of inflammatory foods just because you've kind of you know done something pretty healthy you you'd want to capitalize on that and just go back to eating things that are relatively healthy go back to your normal eating practice as you were so it's like it's not an excuse and this is where people you know fasting in certain individuals if you've got a history of eating disorders um you know you know it can be a vehicle for those with a history of disordered eating to you know to allow for insufficient energy consumption so so you know if, if someone is had a history of anorexia or something like that and then they get into the mindset that fasting is a really good thing because it means they can get away with eating less and having an excuse for it it's probably not a good thing to implement with those sorts of people and it can be pretty dangerous and it can lead to pretty bad relationships with food where people feel that if they have something bad, they have to follow it with a 24 hour fast to kind of correct it. Doesn't, doesn't work like that. And you don't need to do that. And when it comes to a lot of the benefits of fasting itself, this is where you look at the research. A lot of the things that are benefits of, you know, found to be beneficial with regards to fasting have also been reproduced using simple methods of caloric restriction so people going you know that you you get a benefit of ampk stimulation like we said you'll also get that from just restricting calories without implementing fasting so you don't have to fast you know it, it, it can be pretty liberating for a lot of people that you know work busy schedules and they need you know that it, it pays to have you know 16 hours of the day where they don't need to worry about eating and they can just get a load of work done um, but similarly, there are some real benefits to it. But again, you you don't have to go extreme with it, and you don't even have to do it. You just have to have good eating habits. Um, and it, and it, so, so to that question of the guy that says, "How should you follow a fast?" Normal stuff. Um, this particular guy had has said he's doing this thirty six hour fast because he he's trying to cure some digestive issues that he's been having. So I'd say you probably want to figure out a, a 36 hour fast may not be enough. Um, 
all the guys that use fasting as a tool for real you know repair of the body are these guys that do it for weeks and weeks and weeks um like the, the extreme fasters the 36 hours may not be enough but you also if you if you're suffering from like digestive issues it's, you probably shouldn't go back back to what you were doing before you're obviously doing something wrong um you probably want to get to the bottom of that um, it might help so hmm. yeah it's, it's probably yeah it's it's worth um i think the, the whole notion behind fasting as a vehicle to solve digestive issues is popular but then what individuals don't grasp is you need to sort the issue itself out first before it being in a faster state is going to reduce symptoms because you're not processing food but when you start processing food again the symptoms are going to then resume again mm. and like might that's where it can be quite cool because you could potentially do this kind of clear out the sort of thing and then you could go back to eating one you know if you if you suspect that something's causing an issue you could go back to introducing one thing at a time and when yeah. that one thing sets it off you'll know what it is um but you, you might not have to fast to do that um the um but i think like in terms of people that are going to implement fasting what sort of things can kick you out of it that's a quite common question that comes up i think someone asked me that the other day um and there's also you know other things like you know that can help with triggering some of those those you know meta or physiological effects we spoke of like autophagy and keto, keto ketosis and stuff like that um but like herbal teas typically um I think green tea is I know, green tea is a good one that has a specific compound in it. Uh, the EGCG, I forgot what that stands for. Um, that, stim- that has been found to stimulate autophagy itself, but it also has some other cool polyphenols in it. But that that has also been shown not to kick someone out of a fasted state because there's not enough in it. I mean, there's certain things that. Um, you know, people take the piss a bit with fasting and they start having like small amounts of fruit and coconut oil and MCT oil and stuff like that. If you're really going to do a fast, you don't really want to have anything. I think the most you can get away with are like herbal tinctures and, and they're that again, like green, that's why green tea's all right and herbal teas because they're essentially just some, you know, leaves that have been soaked in water and you've kind of got some of those polyphenols out um but you know people having bulletproof coffee and stuff like that that and they gain like a an energy boost from it that the reason that is the case is because they basically raised ketones using you know they might already be in a faster state and they just raised ketones further by implementing something like mct or coconut oil but the processing of that is going to knock you out of a faster state um so I wouldn't go down that route. People have asked about coffee, like whether that stimulates um, when it is enough to kick you out of ketosis. Um, uh, no, like so, some, that's why I say that some people say yes. Um, and if you're like, I think Dr. Sachin Panda, who's one of the lead guys on like circadian biology, he, he um, he's, when he gets people to fast in lab conditions, he recommends they don't consume coffee because the, it's just not clear enough on that yet. 
then there's also other people that have said that coffee does um was it, it accelerates protein deacetylation or something like that but it it won't it will a it will upregulate autophagy um and b it won't kick you out of a of a of a fastest state provided you don't over consume it if you consume an excessive amount of caffeine you will like raise blood sugar which will raise insulin levels which will knock you out of a fastest state um so yeah i wouldn't go down that route um i think i think in terms of other i I think that's probably the the safest list to stick to in terms of like green tea herbal teas and coffee and water are probably the best things you can have if you want to stay in a fasting state. You go and you, you start venturing down other stuff, you run the risk of kind of sabotaging that. The biggest thing that is probably a very good thing to consume is sodium, so salt. And whether that's just putting some salt in your water or putting some electrolytes in your water, provided they're not flavoured, that's probably the best thing someone could do. Um, like the, the When you look at ghrelin signalling, which is one of the things that messes with people on fast, so people um you know when they look you look at ghrelin signaling in it you know people going through like 24 36 i think they did as like a study on a 33 hour fast and they found that like ghrelin signaling still occurred in the same manner so when people normally eat their body will basically time ghrelin release which is the hunger hormone raised to stimulate appetite and give you that hungry feeling um and that that rose at the times of the day that they'd normally be eating during their fasted state. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, they had these spikes in ghrelin, but ghrelin kind of comes in waves, so it doesn't just progressively get higher. And they found that over the, the hour, I think, no, it was three days. I think over the three days, it got progressively lower. Um, so they, um, they're, they're basically, you know, the, and that's where people that have done these extended fasts, they always say that they get to a point where they stop feeling hungry, and that's basically, that's why. Um, but they they found that like the ghrelin signaling can typically occur because the body's sodium levels are getting quite low, so it's signaling your body to consume sodium. So if you're doing fasting for the first time, make sure your sodium levels are adequate. It doesn't mean go overboard; it just means keep them topped up to some you know a reasonable degree. Um, and you'll probably find that hunger is more easily controlled. Um, but yeah, that that's one that people don't often consider. And I mean, it also like you've also got to consider that when you look at insulin, insulin retains sodium, and when you fast, you drop insulin levels through the floor, which means sodium's gonna sodium levels are too gonna drop. So you will see it a drop in sodium, which is also why you get people doing these fasting periods and they come out of them. It can mess with water retention to some degree because they don't factor that in. So you get some people that do fasting and they suddenly drop a load of fluid and look outrageous and then you see some people that do it and it takes a couple of days to re-establish electrolyte levels and their fluid retention goes a bit haywire um but that's um yeah that's that's that is definitely one to consider so check out sodium and for those that are interested in knowing loads more about sodium check out the salt fix um by I've forgotten the doc, the guy's name. It's a, it's a book, um, but he's a, he's a, he's a solid guy. But he's basically written a book about blowing the lid on. Um, let me get it up on on Jane, Dr. James Nicolantonio. Nicolantonio. 
that one. James Danicola Antonio, and he basically so he's basically done, he's a cardiovascular scientist, and he's just done a, a book basically blowing the lid on why we actually need way more soil than we think. But it's a pretty fascinating book, and he goes into a lot of the mechanisms there. Um, but yeah, I think um, it boils down to you know, don't, don't just go into fasting like a bell end. <laughs> like, like I'm going to quote that as well on the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like yeah. That's going to be a slide. Yeah. Yeah. I might put that in the, in the presentation. Don't fast like a bell end. Yeah. I think uh, w- what we'll do, I, I mean, I don't know how long we've been going for. Um, uh, 41 minutes. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, maybe we'll, we'll do a bit more and we'll wrap up. But I reckon we, yeah, we'll, um, I just chill. We'll do a follow-up episode going through kind of the three main areas that intermittent fasting can like influence our metabolisms, and that will be like going deeper into circadian biology, the gut microbiome, and lifestyle factors. Um, but the biggest area is the fact that like time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting, does wonders for our circadian rhythms so in terms of timing our food to the daylight hours. Um, has been shown to elicit an incredible amount of benefit with regards to health um, and things like sleep as well. So for those that, here's one actually, if people that have been struggling with lowering blood, waking blood glucose, and you've, if you're individuals that tend to eat quite late into the evening, try bringing your last meal forward to like seven, seven o'clock six seven o'clock and you'll probably find your your waking blood glucose just insane like, because you basically time of timing uh, energy intake to the to the daylight hours as a human being is one of the best things you can do basically the, the, when we start eating into the night because we're diurnal creatures which you know we're not nocturnal um you you see some serious shit and we'll go through that in the next um next episode but we i mean that's where you you hear you know shift work has been classified as a grade two carcinogen or class whatever it is grade two carcinogen class two carcinogen um in the sense of it's literally been linked to increasing levels of cancer or increasing risk of cancer quite significantly and it's because the human body isn't designed you know the circadian rhythms of the human body are not designed to work during the night hours so when we start being active during those hours and eating during those hours, we massively deregulate a lot of the internal systems of the body um, and massively throw things like inflammation through the roof. Um, so yeah, I think we'll save that for the next one. Um, yeah, because that's a pretty big topic. Um, but we'll all, and, and that for those coming on the set, we'll, we'll delve into it a bit. But that's going to be mostly what we talk about on the seminar because it's going to be going through how we can optimize the nervous system and all that for muscle growth. And that comes down to making sure we're, you know, our circadian rhythms are taken into account and we're able to match things up exceptionally well from that front. And so we'll go into the whole circadian synchronization and desynchronization thing in that seminar, but we'll touch on it next episode and then go into some of the cool stuff behind, um, like the gut microbiome as well, because we won't talk about that much in the seminar, so we can go through that in the next episode. So but um, yeah, I think I reckon that's a pretty good little introduction. Yeah, I say little. That was quite a lot. You say 
little for you. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a lot of information. Actually. So there's a decent chunk. I think any more, it'll just be, it'd be a, just too much. So it's better to split it up into, into smaller, bite-sized chunks. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then it will be... I was going to say one thing. Oh, I was going to say one thing that I just... I've just picked out of my notes talking about the mTOR thing and when we look at autophagy being you know we need that to be we need mTOR to be inhibited um you don't need a lot to raise mTOR so that's also why people don't you don't need 50 60 grams of protein in one meal when you look at you know two to three grams of leucine which is what like 50 50 calories give or take um that is enough to raise you know to stimulate mTOR enough to inhibit autophagy so but whether that's enough to stimulate muscle protein synthesis is is, is not i don't think i don't think it's two to three grams um i think you'll get a small it depends on the individual size but you'll get if you're a relatively small individual you'll get an anabolic response from that and if you're bigger you'll probably get a small one but point is it doesn't take a lot to stimulate mTOR it takes a hell of a lot to shut it off so you know that's where you know you, you've got to be pretty pretty damn extreme if you want to go down the autophagy route basically mm. but yeah we'll wrap up wrap it um q a next week yeah or potentially on sunday yeah we do we get in this sunday easy yeah we're late with technically we're late with q a's well, well no we're late with this one yeah, because weekend. Yeah, it's true. Stupid filming. Yeah, just blame Gus. Yeah, he's listening. Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> <Definitely> not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, we'll wrap this up. Yeah. Thank you for the information, Luke. Um, we will catch you again for part two. In the next few weeks, uh, we'll pump out a Q&A. We've already got questions lined up for the Q&A, so we'll pump out that um, either back end of this weekend or very early next week, and uh, we'll speak to you guys soon. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, George.